me and I know many of you, but I'm sure there are some here who I have not had the opportunity to meet. I can't remember when the last time I was here. I think it was at least a year ago, but maybe I was here more recently. Um, but uh, as you know, Father, or maybe you don't, Father Scott's on sabbatical. And uh, I'm going to be with you through the month of August and the first week in September. And I'm coming off sabbatical. This is actually my first Sunday back behind an altar or in a pulpit in over two months. So first, my apologies about the Gloria. Um, <laughs> Sarah, your organist and our pianist at Epiphany, she's, she's off celebrating with friends this thing that's happening next month. I think they call it a marriage. And so, um, so they said, we're going to say the Gloria. And of course, that's no problem. There's dutifully a note in the missile to say the Gloria. What I failed to do was, A, note the page number for you in these new books of common prayer, and B, that I read the Gloria from the music, not from the book of common prayer, and now I'm realizing there was a difference. So my apologies. Next week, we'll sing it and get it right. Um, but, uh, and I'm also just going to blame the fact that I've been on sabbatical. So cobwebs, cobwebs. But yet, he, here we are, and like I said, I'm going to be with you through the month of August um, and the first week of September so that after today you can decide when you can come back to church again. So, um, but it is good to be with you. I'm, I'm happy to be here. Uh, for those who know, uh, Christina is here with me uh, today, so I'm sure she would love to say hi to everyone. Um, our boys are not here with us, but real quick, Brendan is 18 and graduated from high school, for those who remember our kids. And he works uh, at a church on Sunday mornings, another church, the church we rent from. He's kind of their security person. So um, he's there, and uh, Nathaniel is 14 and going into high school, and uh, he was in bed when we left, to be quite honest, if I'm (laughs) going to tell the truth about where he was at. So might be able to get him to come down one of these weeks as well and say hi to everyone, but Brendan, probably not. Well, I want to share this morning as we look at these readings, I actually want to back up a little, and again, another mea culpa, I could have asked that these four verses be included as well. But our, our epistle reading this morning picked up at verse 5. And that's, that's fine. The lectionary does things like this. But I really like the first four verses of Colossians 3 as well. And I want to use them to help us think. So you can either look those up in your Bible or just uh, listen here as I read them. But again, we picked up in verse 5. So let me go ahead and read Colossians 3 verses 1 through 4. If then you have been raised with Christ... Seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Then it picks up with today's reading, put to death, therefore, right? And later, put on the new self. And so, What we see here with the Apostle Paul, he's doing a couple of things in this passage. The first thing in verses 1 through 4 that I just read is he's saying, we've been raised with Christ, but for a purpose. And the second thing he's doing is he's saying, we need to put sin to death. But to the first, raised with Christ. So the context of this passage is the resurrection of Jesus. So the the big context. Not the immediate context in the letter of the Colossians, but the big context is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, we are deep past Pentecost uh, in the wonderful green season, 
But if we can hearken back to those days when we wore white a few months ago, celebrating the resurrection, that's the context of these passages. Paul is writing all this in light of the resurrection of Jesus and that Jesus has been raised and he has ascended to the right hand of the Father. We confess that every week in in the Nicene Creed and the Eucharist. And really, you would confess it every day in the Apostles' Creed if you pray the daily office. And so that's the big context that Jesus is raised. Therefore, that says something about us as his followers, as his people. That the resurrection of Jesus Christ has implications for us. And beginning in verse 1, Paul makes an assumption. He says, if, then you have been raised with Christ. But the context is clear that the if there is not so much like we're unsure, but if, then. Instead, Paul mostly is just saying, you've been raised with Christ. And because you've been raised with Christ, you are to seek the things that are above. Right? So because we have been raised with Christ. So the first thing to note is we have been raised with Christ. Now, Paul goes into great detail about this, particularly in the book of 1 Corinthians. So much so that in 1 Corinthians 15, the Apostle Paul says that if Jesus is, uh, if we have not been resurrected with Jesus in his resurrection, then there's no point to the resurrection. In other words, if the resurrection of Jesus Christ doesn't impact us, doesn't have implications for our life and our living, then what would be the point? And I mean, that seems obvious if we think about it from a salvation standpoint, right? If the resurrection of Jesus doesn't impact me, make salvation available to me, what would have been the point? God the Son did not need to put on a show for God the Father. He died and was resurrected and ascended to his Father's right hand in order to satisfy God, in order to pay the debt that we could not pay. And so because he's been raised, we've been raised. Now, that doesn't mean we feel like it all the time, but the truth is, the theological fact is, we have been raised with Christ. Verse 1, he assumes it. Therefore, because of that, we seek the things that are above. Think about it. If you've been raised up, then you're going to seek those things that are appropriate to that station of life. So if we've been raised with Christ, we're going to seek the things where? That are above. And we're going to be able to do this. Why? Because Christ himself is seated at the right hand of God. Christ is now at the right hand of the Father. He is above. And so we have been raised with Christ. Therefore, we are to seek the things that are above. And we'll have a clearer sense of what these above things are here in a moment. But that's the first general point that Paul wants to make. We've been raised with Christ. So we seek the things that are above because Christ himself has been raised to the right hand of God. The second general point that Paul wants to make is because we have died, according to verse 3, right? If we've been raised, it assumes we've died. So we have died with Christ in order to be raised with Christ. So because we have died, verse 3, we are then to set our minds on the things that are above. So seek the things that are above and now set our minds on the things that are above not on things that are on earth. So there's our first tent of what are these above things? Well, they're not earthly things. And why do we do this? Because we've died. Why do we want to set our minds on the things that are above? Or why are we able to? It's because our life, Paul says, is hidden with Christ in God. So again, theological truth is 
Jesus is resurrected, was resurrected, and now sits at the right hand of the Father. That's the theological truth that we need to recognize. Because of that, we are then commanded to do two things. Seek the things that are above and set our minds on these things that are above. And why do we do that? Well, because we are resurrected people, and because Jesus himself is seated at the right hand of the Father above, and our life is hidden with him. So let's stop for a minute and think about this. To seek the things that are above and to set our minds on things that are above. Those are two different things. And I want to try to illustrate that by using Brendan, my 18-year-old, as an example. A few years ago, Brendan said, I want an Apple Watch. I said, really? Why do you need an Apple Watch? Well, you know, then I could get text on my wrist because I guess like a text in your pocket is too far away. I mean, you know, most of us remember the days when you couldn't have a phone in your pocket, much less have a text in your pocket, and now the pocket's too far, it's got to be on the wrist, right? And he rattled off reasons why he wanted, you know, this, this uh, Apple Watch, and actually, Christine and I talked him down. He didn't get it. Well, we weren't going to buy it for him, but he was coming up to a birthday or Christmas, and he wanted money, so I'm getting an Apple Watch. So we talked him down. Well, some number of months later, that was probably a Christmas, and then some number of months later, his birthday in July, he probably started talking about it again. So I think we talked him down a second time. And there might have even been a third talk down in there. I mean, he had set his mind on getting an Apple Watch, and I kept talking him down from it, right? But he graduated from high school in May, and he got money from people. And he said, I'm getting an Apple Watch. And I thought, you know what? This boy, is, he's now 18. He was almost 18 at the time. I thought, if that's what he wants to do with his money, it's his graduation money, he's going to do it. So not only had he set his mind now on the Apple Watch, but he sought out the Apple Watch. He went, he bought it, and sure enough, he now gets text on his wrist, including mine, that still go unacknowledged. <laughs> right? But as we seek something, right, as we set our mind on it, there's this, this way of thinking like, well, I can set my mind on something, but I might not seek it. Right? You know, like, oh, maybe one day I'll go back to school and get a master's degree, a teacher says. But they might 10 years later say, yeah, I'm still thinking about going back to school. Right? They haven't done it. That's fine. That's fine. They've made, they've made life decisions. They might not have actually done it, but... Setting our mind on something and seeking it are two different things. And so Paul says you need to do both of those things. And what do you set your mind on? What do you seek? Things that are above. Now, not all earthly things are sinful. Do you hear me? Not all earthly things are sinful. Just because it's made of the stuff of the earth does not mean it's sinful. God made creation and he made it good. Right? So... Earthly things, material things are good. We're not talking about some sort of anti-materialism here. Oh, matter's bad. Stay away from it. Be spiritually minded, right? No, it's, it's not that. Not all earthly things are sinful, but they can be. And so for those things that are, or those things that can be for us, we were just talking about the way we can make idols of things in the, in the adult education hour. Those things that can become sinful for us, that's not the things we should be seeking and setting our minds on. No, they need to be things that are above. So again, this is not uh, 
scriptural license to quit cleaning your house, to quit doing the dishes, to quit cutting your grass. Oh, I'm sorry, those are earthly things. I'm going to sit over here and have my mind on things above and ignore these earthly matters. No, that's not exactly, it's actually not at all what Paul is saying. Matter of fact, that's the point of the list that was read for us in five and following. Right? Paul says, I'll tell you what's earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, idolatry. Right? I'll tell you what else. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Those are earthly things. Put those things aside. Seek the things that are above. Which would be what? Sexual morality. Purity. Not to be passionate people. To desire good things. Not to be covetous. Right? You just negate the negative things and you now have the things that are above. Again, all things of the earth are not sinful, but they all have the the ability to become sinful to us. So again, we need to set our minds on things that are above, and then we need to seek after those things. It's not enough to to live in the mire of earthly things, to be sexually immoral, immoral, to be impure, to be passionate, to be, have evil desires, to be covetous, to be idolatrous, and say, I mean, that's what I'm doing, but my mind is set on these other things. No, that would be double-mindedness. And the scriptures tell us that double-minded people are unstable in all their ways, that we need to desire those things to set our minds on them so that we will seek them and seek them appropriately. So because we have died with Christ, we need, no, we must put to death what is earthly. We must put them away. So first of all, we have to take some sort of stock of our life. What is earthly in my life? What are these good things that perhaps I have turned into earthly things? Being a sexual person is not a sinful thing. Being sexually immoral is a sinful thing. So what things have I made earthly? That's the first thing. I would need to think about that, and and I need to to do that hard work, and I need to figure that out. I need to take stock of my life, and I need to, to not be afraid to name those things, to identify those things. And because we've been raised with Christ, right? Because we've died with Christ, we have to put away these things. But because we've been raised with Christ, we can put on this new self, and then we can actually practice things that are consistent with that new self. We can, we can pursue the things that are above. This is not just an ideal, right? These are not just ideals. These are attainable things. So I've done some traveling quite a bit this summer. Whenever people find out you're from California, right, that always comes with a range of questions. First of all, I make it very clear that I live in California and that I am from Virginia. So I have to make that distinction first. But they'll say, oh, Californians, they're all so healthy. Well, I mean, I don't bust that bubble necessarily. But I do find it interesting that Californians, when they decide to get healthy, it's something like this. Oh, I'm so out of shape. I need to get healthy. I'm going to run a marathon. You know, there's 26.2 miles between your sofa and the end of that marathon. You could get healthy at a lot of points in between, right? And never run a marathon. So you may, you may desire and seek after that marathon. You may never achieve it. But yeah, I bet if you say a mile, you'll do it. The mile might become two and eventually you might get to 26.2. But the point is, is like we need to 
um, because we've been raised with Christ and this new self and to practice these things, it's not enough just to desire them. We have to do those things. We have to practice those things. And that's possible. Why? Well, because Christ has been raised and we've been raised with him because our life is hidden with Christ in God. That's what makes these things doable. So first, let's identify what's, what's in my life that's earthly. I need to name it. And then I need to quit seeking and practicing that. And I need to set my mind on things above. And then I need to seek those things. What better example for us than the gospel reading from today? This nameless man probably still regrets that he asked Jesus this question. <laughs> right? That he, that he asked Jesus to do this for him. Right? Someone in the crowd, poor guy, we don't know who he is. Someone in the crowd, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Well, first of all, I mean, that's like four-year-old talk. Mom, dad, tell him to share that with me. Why does he get that and I don't? Tell him to share it with me. So, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus says to him, man, I don't know how that should be read, right? It's a, man, you know, I don't know. Uh, You know, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? Jesus basically like, I'm not going to tell him anything. Why would I do that? Not my job. So Jesus says to him, hey, how about this? How about you take care and be on your guard against all covetousness? And right there, I think the man probably thought, oh, wow, (laughs) I shouldn't have asked that. I shouldn't have said that to Jesus because now I'm getting a lecture, right? So, like, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And I could imagine the man maybe thinking, "But, but, you know, I deserve part of that inheritance, right? So Jesus is like, First of all, don't ask me that. I'm not the judge or arbitrator of you. And second of all, by the way, you sound covetous. (laughs) Let me tell you a story. And at this point, I think the man's probably trying to find his way back into the crowd at this point. But let me tell you a story, as Jesus is wont to do. Right? So he talks about a farmer, a rich man, whose land was really productive. So much so that whatever it was, these crops that he grew... So much was being brought in that the barns couldn't hold it all. So, thinking like a good businessman, he said, I'll just build bigger barns. Tear down the old ones, build new ones. And then, what I can do is I can take it easy. Can eat, drink, and be merry. Sounds nice. And then, I will say to my soul, right, you have ample goods, take it easy. But God said to him, fool. I don't know how to read that either, Right? (laughs) Fool! I don't know how God would say fool. Fool! This night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? Yeah, exactly. Whoever gets there the moment after you die. Right? Whoever gets there to take all these great goods. The moment you die, the moment you're not there, people are going to line up to take those things. So you need to be caring about what matters, your soul. Now, when Christine and I lived in Minnesota for two and a half years, our closest friends were farmers. And even though I grew up in rural Virginia, I had never met farmers. And when I met Rick and his family, and they were uh, multi-generation farmers, all of a sudden it, it dawned on me that their livelihood depends year in and year out on how good the crop is, 
right, how good the selling price of corn is. They had gotten out of the dairy cow business because it was no longer profitable for them, and so they raised corn, but not corn to eat. This was corn that went to the market to make ethanol and things like that. And so they planted the crops, they watered the crops, they cared for the crops, they harvested the crops, they dried the corn out to be the perfect uh, moisture content before they could truck it down to the city. They had to wait for the right price in the city because gas prices would dictate, right? You get it? You see what I'm saying? Every year. So by the time they had harvested everything and winter set in and they could relax a little in the winter, if you will, the thing is it was only a matter of time before, guess what? They started over again. And I only lived there and with them for two cycles of that. But we left Minnesota 20 years ago. So they've had 20 more cycles now of raising their livelihood every year. And so I kind of relate to this farmer when things are good, put it in the barn and relax a little. Farming is hard work. But again, Jesus said, that's not what you should be doing. Matter of fact, God calls him a fool and says, no, it's your soul that's going to be required of you. You need to lay up treasure for God, not for yourself. So what a great example to us. Think about it. What, what's more basic in life than food stuff? Of course we'd want to have that. Of course we want to feel like we were safe and being cared for and, and maybe even could be content and relax a little bit. But Jesus warns us that that's not what we should be attending to. Rather, instead, we need to be attending to our soul. We need to be attending to the part of us that has been raised with Christ, that is with Christ, and that matters. We need to think the things that are above. Get our eyes off the things of the world, again, whatever they might be for us, those earthly things, and set our minds and seek those things that are above. One commentator says this, Those who become Christians enter on a shore sorry, enter on a share in the risen life of Christ and their own life must now take a different direction. Those who become Christians enter on a share in the risen life of Christ and their own life must now take a different direction and be ruled by their relation to their ascended Lord. Being a Christian has consequences. It's no longer about me relating to even the good things that God has made and everything he made is good. But my relationship to Christ as the ascended Lord and the ascended God changes everything. And I think this is summed up so nicely in the collect for Ascension Day, which unfortunately we only get to hear once a year. Actually, in the 79 Book of Common Prayer, there's two collects for Ascension Day. So you'd actually have a chance of not hearing this collect even. Perhaps. It depends on which one the priest randomly chose. Oh, we don't choose things randomly. Was, um, the, the collect the priest carefully chose in advance, right? But the one collect says this. As we believe your only begotten son, our Lord Jesus Christ, to have ascended into heaven, so we may also in heart and mind there ascend and with him continually dwell. Right? May we also in heart and mind ascend to where Christ is at so that we can have the mind of Christ, so that we can desire the things that are above, so that we can seek after them as well. So, folks, that's where we now live with the ascended Christ. 
We are no longer people of the earth. Therefore, we cannot pursue earthly things, whatever they may be for us. So as we receive the grace made available to us today in the body and blood of, the, of our Lord Jesus Christ, may we ask God to give us the grace, the courage, the wisdom to look into our lives, to look into the deep recesses of our own souls, to figure out where are we storing things in our enlarged barn so that we can eat, drink, and be merry, so that we can root all that out, not be fools, not be foolish, but instead dwell with Christ, risen with him in his ascended state, living above these earthly things, pursuing and seeking those things which are above. And of course, we don't do this on our own, because if we tried, we'd fail anyway. So may we ask God to give us the wisdom to help us live in heart and mind in our ascended state. May we seek and may we desire those things that are above. And may we do that through the empowerment that comes by God. And may we do it to his honor and glory. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit.